You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, a writer, entrepreneur, and change maker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. You just heard a great original composition by my son, Asher Schreiber. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. I'd like to welcome Barbara Jones to the Make Meaning podcast. Barbara is executive editor at Henry Holt Publishers in New York. She's also one of my favorite people in the world, a great mentor, friend, and inspiration. Welcome to Make Meaning, Barbara. Thank you. It's very (laughs) exciting. Congratulations on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. You know, this has been um, really my life's journey has been to show how people find meaning in the mundane, as you know, because you've been such a great guide and mentor and friend over the years. Um, And so I couldn't do a podcast about making meaning without including you as one of the inaugural episodes because you that's what you do. Your whole career has been about that. (laughs) This is true. This is true. (laughs) Well, so, you know, I've seen, I met you when you were um, at a magazine and I've seen you go to publishing houses. And so you've really devoted your life to working with a lot of people telling powerful and impactful stories. And I've never asked you, why did you choose this line of work and what do you love about it? Ooh, (laughs) Um, I mean, it is, it is inherently meaningful. I mean, it's kind of easy meaning. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little more complicated than that, which I can get to in a second. I mean, working in a commercial magazine is not every second of the day a meaningful thing. Sure. Um, I always got to work on the meaningful stuff, uh-huh. um, or at least the stuff that was meaningful to me. But, um, you know, I, um, I was thinking about this I had totally forgotten this till today, but when I was a teenager, I was really sick just for a brief period of time with some horrible, horrible, you know, winter illness. And I had this, I slept on the couch. I was feverish. I was out cold for days. They had to bring the doctor to the house, oh not you you know, go to the doctor. I mean, you know, you have kids, stuff happens. Yeah. So, um, but when I came out of that, it was it was sort of an amazing time because I would be like out cold. They put me on something laced with codeine, I think. <laughs> so I would be like out. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, like uh, we celebrate Christmas. So I woke up, but there was a tree in the living room. Oh my I woke gosh. up a different time. It was decorated. Anyway, <laughs> but in that recuperation process, I I read a stack of, or I had 
available to me a stack of New Yorker magazines. Oh, yeah. So I was probably 17 or 18, and my parents did not subscribe to the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what it was. <laughs> and um, and I was flipping through, and I it was from our neighbors, an old stack of New Yorkers, mm-hmm. and there were short stories in there. And I do remember that there were short stories by John Updike, which later I became very embarrassed by because of <laughs> what I perceived to be misogyny in his work and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. But he was a beautiful writer, and it something clicked with me huh. that um, I think a lot of the stories, a lot of those short stories were about a man who was contemplating leaving his marriage for a different woman mm-hmm. um, and infidelity and what is fidelity, which is a very interesting idea. Just yeah. uh, And it touched me. It connected with me. And I don't think until that moment, I'd always been a big reader. Mm-hmm. I realized that a story, even though like he was a man and I was a girl and I wasn't having any affairs on the side or really anything, <laughs> like a simple <laughs> boyfriend now and again, uh-huh. nothing dramatic. Something about inner conflict, about the complicated relationships of the family, about holding love and loss together in one moment, all these things that stories and poems and novels and paintings and, you know, can be about were in those stories for me and connected with me. And I felt like they struck a chord. And after that, I went to college. I was an English major. I read really old fashioned poetry. And I, that always has been, but short stories for a long time, especially mm-hmm. were a way of reflecting back. I understood the creation of short stories and the reading of short stories to be a way of reflecting back the human condition to the reader and making your life more meaningful. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I love that. And so I just became engaged with that as an occupation, very by luck. It's so great. It's such a it's really a lucky, a lucky strike. I mean, you just fell into it. And it was so purposeful and where you were meant to be. Yeah, I love it. It's so cool. (laughs) It's so cool. It's really cool. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, how's publishing doing these days? And, you know, where do you see it going? Oh, interesting. So, um, so book publishing, so I actually came into book publishing from magazines in 2008, okay. which was a great year. It could have been a terrible year, but it turned out to be lucky for me because at the end of 2008, there was a crash and a lot of people lost their jobs, not right. only in book publishing, but all around the country. Yeah. But it was a great year to come into the business because it was the first year of the ebook. Yeah. yeah. So I saw, I've seen, that's 10 years now, I've seen a lot of change. Mm-hmm. And what, 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 you know, at the very beginning of 2008, there were a little bit of its ebook sales. And by the end of 2008, I mean, it grew like a, you know, you think of graphs in school, mm-hmm. you know, sort of graphs going gradually up <laughs> from the lower left-hand corner to the upper right. No, this was like a line straight up. Wow. I mean, it was just the sales were increasing just straight up. Uh-huh. At the same mm-hmm. time, the graph of hardback sales and paperback sales, um, paperback sales was sort of tanking. Okay. And then hardback sales were sort of gradually drifting down. Oh. You know. Yeah. Anyway, there were many different years. So that happened for like a year or two. Okay. Then there was a little period of time where, 
ebooks weren't going straight up, but after the holiday season in the winter and the new year, when people might have been given or purchased for themselves a new e-reader of some sort, mm-hmm. they would buy a lot of books. So there'd okay. be a little spike then. Okay. Starting a few years ago, that all ended. A lot of people retreated from the ebook. Hmm. They like the physical book. And this year for the first year, this past year for the first year, ebook sales went down. Hmm. So, so all of that is just people who are fear for the physical book shouldn't be afraid. There, it's not a, like a massively booming growth industry, mm-hmm. book publishing, but it's a healthy mm-hmm. industry um, going through a period of change. And it's really been fun to see people go back to the hard book. Um, by the way, I read a lot on any reader. Otherwise, otherwise, I would just basically be in traction in the hospital from all the pages I have to carry. Yes. Um, so they have their uses. They yes. have their uses for genre fiction, and they have their uses if you're traveling, and they have your their uses if you're an editor reading a lot of things on submission and you don't want to simply, you know, die from the weight of carrying all that paper. For sure. Um, so. Um, but people, the book, the old-fashioned book, is a really great form. You know, you can go forward and backward in it, and you can, um, you know, you can dog your page if you're so inclined, and you can put bookmarks in it, and you can write in it if you're so inclined, which I am. I'm, I, I, you know, I do scribble all over them, but um, especially the paperback best. ones. Yeah. Um, Another interesting aspect of the book business is the audiobook. Hmm. Um, just as many people are listening to podcasts and music and so forth, they're listening to audiobooks, and that is booming. That's really That's cool. a booming business right now. That's a growth business. Huh. Um, anyway, so the business is sort of healthy, and within that, um, there's there are a lot of oh oh oh. There's one other thing that I think is amazing, um, and then I'll stop talking. Um, so, 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 um, you know, there's all kinds of people are reading right now and reading enthusiastically and reading in their book clubs. There's a resurgence of small independent bookstores across the country. Mm-hmm. There's a, they've shown a lot of health and stamina, uh-huh. um, and there are a lot of new ones, and they're really fun places to go into and discover books. Sure. Um, uh, but also in the writing itself, one of the things that I've found the most sort of thrilling is that there's been a real, um, I don't know if renaissance is the word, but there's a real sort of boom mm-hmm. in writing by people of color mm-hmm. um, and by um, uh, LGBTQ people, um, by um uh, and by women. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, it's a struggling time for the white male writer. Uh-huh. Um, um, sorry, Mr. Updike, may he rest in peace. <laughs> but, um, but it's a fabulous time for language. And um, it's, you know, there have been over the generations, you could see across just for example, the 20th century moments where there was, you know, Irish literature and um, uh, Jewish immigrants um, literature was where earlier in the 20th century there were um, uh, Indian immigrant literature, you know, like mm-hmm. you know um, Chinese immigrant literature, um, sort of, you know, um, having a moment, and there have been various times when people of color in our country have had 
um, uh, sort of held the floor for a minute. But this is something super special, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I have this crackpot theory uh-huh. about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's hear it. Which is based on some people that I heard. Uh-huh. Um, I heard a story from a woman on NPR and um, who was at one time peddling a book. Mm-hmm. Way probably 2000. It was right after Obama's first election. Okay. A year or so afterwards, she's a person of color, and what I remember, and the place I worked at the time did not acquire a book by her, but I remember this story really vividly, um, which was until President Obama was elected, she said, the African-American men in her family had never told the truth about their daily lives. What did she mean by that? Well... If you think about it, mm-hmm. nobody wants to go home and say, today I was treated badly. Today right. I was shoved aside. Today right. someone suspected me of a crime. Today someone, you know, mm-hmm. you know, called me a racial slur. Today someone, you know, um, didn't give us a homeowner's loan, did, you know, didn't do that. You, 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 if you have children, you know, it's like you do sort of, you, you want to be upstanding and admirable to them and there's no, you know, it's, it makes sense. And, um, I live, I'm a white lady, but I live in a community where I'm a racial minority and it's predominant. I live in Harlem. Okay. And, um, and I lived in Harlem through that time. Okay. And I remember how frightened the old men were Mm -hmm. of, um, who are gone now, but they did get to vote for President Obama. Um, which is kind of thrilling. Um, yeah. Frightened they were of him running because uh-huh. they know, knew, you know, all the racism that would rear its ugly head, and indeed it has. Yeah. But those mm-hmm. stories started to pour forth, mm-hmm. and um, because it seemed, I don't know, like you could say it now, mm-hmm. you know, yes, I'm um, not just a little talk, but the true story of a life, and women are telling their stories and you know there's a way women uh, women who've been assaulted are telling their stories so there's this pouring forth of of stories which i have this crackpot theory of why for a moment it seemed safe mm-hmm. and i hope that it doesn't come to feel unsafe but i think it's such a torrent that um people will probably not be quiet mm-hmm. and it dovetailed this is another crackpot theory but <laughs> may, may someone take my crackpot theory and run with it <laughs> please um which is that um people of color just for example um have had to and I, this is true i'm sure as well for mm-hmm. queer people have had to code switch mm-hmm there's a private language within the community and then there's a public language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in our music with, you know, um, through rap, which mm-hmm. is a language form mm-hmm. and hip hop, which is related to rap, mm-hmm. but, um, and through this pouring forth of stories, mm-hmm. the, the private language and the um, language of literature mm-hmm. are, flowing together into a great and exciting sea of language. This is what I see. Yeah. There's a statistic that the most college-educated people in the United States right now are African-American women. Mm-hmm. 
I just saw that again recently. Mm-hmm. And I also, as of about two years ago, the biggest book buyers were African-American women. So awesome. there's a literate society becoming married to this great flow of what had been a private language, just to take people of color for one thing. But it's sure. also happening with queer people. It's also happening with women. And so it's an exciting time. I wonder when we look back. I don't think we know right now whether Roxy and Gay will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. But we do know mm-hmm. that, you know, or Colson Whitehead or whoever, mm-hmm. but we do know, I think, that this is a rich, rich, rich time of um, of language um, by previously marginalized voices. Mm-hmm. And it's not just telling, it's a story, mm-hmm. but it's telling a story with a rich enriched vocabulary. I don't know if that's what you mean. So it's thrilling. It's just thrilling. There's poetry and essay and novel. There's, you know, there's um, nonfiction, you know, reporting that's written beautifully. And anyway, so in terms of arts and letters, if you want to ask how publishing is doing in (laughs) terms of that, it's an extremely healthy time. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, I I bought a Kindle um, in 2014 when I was going to India with a client uh, because it just seemed practical. It was so easy and lightweight and I could just throw it in my backpack um, and I used it. But I, I like holding a book. Um, I even like yeah. holding a magazine. I like tearing out pages to keep them. So I remember, you know. Um, yes. And so... And I've actually, when I was a freelance writer, I wrote I wrote an article um, for a home design magazine about decorating with books. How when you use books um, as decor in every room of the house, even the bathroom, it transforms it into a place of learning and knowledge. And um, I mean, I always have a dusty stack next to my bed, even if I don't look at them, <laughs> you know. And I always have to remember to dust them off and then maybe pick them up. But um, you know, when I was little, my dad would take me to a bookstore and he would say anything you want. Books are knowledge, ah. and you can never have too much of that. And wow. um, I, in contrast, when my mom took me clothes shopping, she was she would ask me, is it a luxury or a necessity? So <laughs> I have that voice going through my head when I buy clothes, which is why I go to like discount stores or whatever. But books, it's like I have no self-control because, you know, <laughs> he's like, this guy's a limit. Go ahead, buy whatever you want, you know, but um, which is really, really cool. But, um, you know, I want to ask you, um, because I know that you're a change maker and I've seen since the last election that you've really become so much more activist, although I did not know all the things you did, you know, earlier, like starting a theater company, starting a public school, you know, I I never heard you describe it this way that you purposely built a diverse family. Um, So you sort of this thread has gone through your life of, of impacting the community, making change to benefit everybody. Um, and in that vein, you know, I'd like to sort of go to a place that a lot of people don't want to go to. But um, I think you brought it up in talking about the trends in publishing right now and the voices that are out there. You know, um, I was personally shocked, speechless with the last election and even said to one of my kids, which terrified her, you know, I don't know if we can live in this country anymore. And of course, you know, we did, we stayed and we're trying to deal with that. But, um, but people said to me that they felt that especially my friends of color were not surprised by the way the tides turned. And so 
they really felt that um, this current president was a reaction to the last president. And I felt really naive and sort of ignorant. Like, how come I didn't see that? How come I thought we were at a more accepting and welcoming place? And, you know, did I really live in a bubble? And so I want to go there for just a minute because we don't have a ton of time left. But I want to sort of, you know, ask you for your um, your perspective on that. You're really vocal on um, – being out there and and exposing truth and speaking up and and changing things. So, you know, why do you think we landed where we are? You know, and and is is there hope for the future? Are we going to find a place that's not such an extreme on the pendulum, but but where we all can find a common language and really come together? Oh boy, I don't <laughs> know. I mean, I, I'm mostly really depressed about it, and probably more naive than you. <laughs> it's not that I didn't feel hate. I mean, first of all, there was all kinds of, there really was mm-hmm. information um, interference that mm-hmm. so, so, so there are people who believed apparently that like Hillary Clinton was ill and lying about it. <laughs> um, but there was misogynist misinformation campaign against her for her entire adult life. And yeah, I, guess I can see I that. Just, I just couldn't believe that. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I just thought, you know, Anne Frank, like at heart, people are really good. Yeah. But guess what? No. At heart, people will vote for a Nazi if right. they're afraid. Right. So do you think and, that means that they're not really good at the core, but they're just that the fear is taking over? That, um, that, that that's just sort of that sort of shroud? Or do you think really that, no, they're not all good at the core? I'm in a bad place around this, okay? But (laughs) I am uh, until the election. You know, and I worked on Coretta Scott King's previous, yeah, unpublished memoir. And I was like, I was reading all these books. And she just believed in love. And her daughter, Bernice, who I worked on with the book, would say to me, so she's, and who has, by the way, Bernice King has really found her voice, I think, this year. And Mm -hmm. you can follow her on Twitter. And she will show you the right way. I work with also a writer named Love Jai, who mm-hmm. has a blog called Awesomely Lovey, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, also she has a spine and knows how to, you know, I mean, I often think like, well, what does Lovey think, you know, but, <laughs> and also what does Bernice think? But I, I believed in love. Uh-huh. Like I believed love could snuff out hate, you know, and so I don't, I don't know. of white women in America are either greedy, Mm -hmm. ignorant, Mm -hmm. stupid, or racist, Mm -hmm. and or all of those things. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if they're stupid, I think there's no hope because they can't seem to get, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm just so angry about this. This is not a good question for me. (laughs) I mean, I will say, I will say um, there's a lot you can be, you can look it up and I sort of sometimes listen with one tiny corner of my deafening ears, but it, 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 it's based a lot is, is people, uh, you know, being afraid, sure. being afraid of change, being afraid of left out, being afraid and greedy and not really having values and not living what I consider a meaningful life. And, you know, I have nothing but bad words to say for them. Um, but, um, but um 
there is evidence that if you live in a diverse community, if you know a lot of other kinds of people, that you are less likely to be afraid of them. For sure. And, yeah. Um, it's like common sense. And so, yeah. So, um, so I, 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 I have to assume, although the people in my family who voted for what someone I consider as bad as Hitler, if circumstances were different, mm-hmm. um, I really just think he's the worst. Mm-hmm. The, and we, everybody in New York knew he was a crook. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a thug. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, who voted for, consider themselves Christians. Right. You know, right. Um, right. And, you know, and so they're good, but they're actually bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to. They're actually bad. <laughs> well, I totally get it. And we could go on for a long time and probably alienate all listeners at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, the truth is, I feel like we have to talk about these things, but I'm hoping that there is, you know, a brighter future and that. I mean, that's, you know, you know, I started a nonprofit that was designed to bring people together. And I mean, that's my hope. You know, I have to believe that there's hope because once we give up hope, well, what's the point in in continuing to live and work? I mean, if you don't believe that anything's going to get better, why are you doing what you're doing? You know? Yeah. So when you say I've gotten more active, if you've noticed me getting more active, I, I have to assume what you mean is that I'm speaking up. Yes. So I was very shy of speaking up and it was very like what I just said, I wouldn't have said that in public. Right. You know, um, I would never have said that. And I was all like, love will find a way. And honestly, when I walk around most of my day, that's what I still believe. Yeah. Yeah. But, I agree. but here's the thing. We cannot be silent. No, no, we cannot be silent. I am a white woman and I am ashamed. I am so ashamed of what happened. Yes. And um, the ignorance that would cause white women and apparently 60% of white men Mm -hmm. to vote for what would harm people, mm-hmm. would harm with mothers and children being torn apart, mm-hmm. racist policies enacted, policies against people with learning differences, physical disabilities, immigrant I mean, statuses that, environment, you know, you know. For fear, make them afraid. Um, I, we, we cannot be silent. And no. I'm giving myself some permission to be slightly crazy and not as honorable as I would like to be <laughs> in my speech right. while I learn how to speak up. Well, I love it. And I, I do, can't be silent. I do think as we wind down here in this interview, I think one of the things we need to encourage is more people getting into the political process. I have a, a good friend who um, is running for a county office. She's a nurse in um, Ann Arbor. And after mm. the election, her answer was to go and be trained to run for an office. Mm. And I mean, I can't think of a better person. And I feel like we need good people that we can look up to to take leadership positions. And it's not an enviable position. I don't want to be on on a stage for everybody to judge and comment. And, you know, not everyone has a thick enough skin for that, but we need yes. inspiring leaders and, and people who will make change to benefit everyone. So I think I want to leave us with that notion. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to ask you one last question before we sign off. And that is any advice you might offer listeners about how they can make meaning in their daily lives, um, their work, their, their home life, anything like that? 
Wow. Um, well, one thing is read. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. find what you love. If you love, if you, you know, start and find book that you want to talk about with someone else, right? Uh-huh. Um, but the other thing is to find yourself in a community. So a community of book readers is a community. Uh-huh. The commu- Know your neighbors, I would say, yep. is a meaningful thing. Yep. Um, I'm in the middle of a very heated email exchange with my neighbors, but loving and why I love where I live so much mm-hmm. about um, a methadone treatment center coming in, into our neighborhood. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, and what I remember is how everyone in our neighborhood talks about everything, yes. you know, and discusses everything. And sometimes it's difficult. Yeah. So, you know, it's... Finding a way to feel that you matter, you know, and um, and, uh, and and to that, listen to others um, too, let them know that they matter as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yes. So, so know you matter, and that you're doing the same for others. I think. Yeah. Um, community is a really good thing, and it, it could be anything. Just follow what you love. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If you love, when I was in magazines, I didn't. I wasn't in the fashion part for reasons that. Parent to everyone, <laughs> but you know what? That's still that's a love of beauty and fabric and and um, you know skill and history and yeah appreciating human talents. body and yep. so whatever it is, follow that and find yourself a woman a community around that. That's a start. I love it. I love it. It's so wonderful to speak with you, Barbara Jones, my dear friend. And (laughs) I'm so grateful that you made time for me today um, to be on the Make Meaning podcast. And I just want to remind listeners that we've been talking with Barbara Jones, executive editor at Henry Holt, and a committed citizen who devotes her life to impacting her community and the world community. So thank you so much, Barbara. It's been a pleasure Thanks speaking with you. Thanks for having me, Lynn. Congratulations. Thank I you. I can't wait to hear the podcast. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Bye.